we always knew going into next season that we would be expanding the college football playoffs from four teams to 12 teams, but we had questions about how the bracket would look. We now have the answers to those questions and how that would affect the Texas Longhorns football team. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing the new college football playoffs format. Once again, we already knew they were moving to 12 teams, but we did not know how those 12 teams would be set up. We do now, and also how that affects the Texas Longhorns football team. Second segment, Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Quinn Ewers, or Arch Manning, all four very talented quarterbacks who have all played at the University of Texas. And so, you know, I'm sure a lot of people spend a lot of time comparing these four quarterbacks. But I saw a question on Twitter the other day of which quarterback would you rather have? Simple enough. But the catch was Steve Sarkeesian has to be the offensive coordinator or call plays, right? So it's in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, right? So I tell you how all four quarterbacks, I believe, would have fared under Steve Sarkeesian, have fared in Quinn Ewer's case, or we do a little bit of projecting in terms of Arch Manning. And ultimately, I answer the question of which quarterback I think would have been most successful of those four in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And then in the last segment, the basketball team and the baseball team at the 40 Acres have picked up a win since I last came on Locked on Longhorns. The basketball team against Kansas State, the baseball team against Houston Christian. I give you a recap of both of those games on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So once again, we always knew that in 2024, we were going to the 12-team college football playoff, moving from the 14 field to the 12-team field. And before I get into, you know, how the new bracket looks and what that means for Texas and, you know, my questions and yada, yada, uh, I just want Texas fans and everybody associated with the program to take some pride, right? You probably already are, but I just want you to take some pride in the fact that Texas was able to make the college football playoffs in the 14 era, right? And I've said this on the podcast before, but now that we're moving to the 12-team playoffs, you're going to start to see teams make it for the first time every year, right? Like a team like Ole Miss. I fully expect them to be one of the 12 best teams in the country this year. So they're probably going to make the college football playoffs for the first time. And as somebody, as a fan of a team that made it in the 14 college football playoff era, right, it just means a little bit more when the bracket was a little bit more exclusive, right? Now the field has moved to 12. And imagine if Texas made it for the first time in 2024, and all of our biggest rivals, I guess, you know, Texas A&M should probably just shut up, period. But Oklahoma would have an argument in this regard, I guess, if they wanted to use it. And it's Oklahoma, so they would. Um, but they would say, oh, like Texas couldn't make the playoffs until they expanded the field to 12. But you never have to worry about hearing that ever because Texas made it in the era of the 14 college football playoff. And it just means a little bit more, you know, to bite off the SEC. So I want everybody associated with the program to take some pride, right, in the fact that you made it when there were four teams, right? And you're going to make it when there are 12 teams too, right? You're going to make it probably every year moving forward, but you made it when there were four, and that means something. Now, when we look at the new format, right, of the college football playoffs, they're expanding to 12 teams, but we had questions about how those 12 teams would look, right? How they would be set up, who would play who, when, who gets a bye, 
et cetera, right? I think the original thought process was that the six highest ranked conference champions would get six automatic spots in the college football playoffs. And then the next six spots would be at large bids for the next six, six best teams in the country that did not win their conference, right? But then we saw this year the death of the Pac-12, right? <laughs> like right before our eyes in a calendar year. And so obviously it doesn't make sense to keep six, you know, essentially automatic bids if there's only, you know, four power five slash four conferences now. And then you want to show love to one group of five conference because there's no, you know, Pac-12 anymore. So moving forward, this will be the new format. And I thought, you know, based on what happened in college football with realignment and everything, this needed to be adjusted. And they did the best job they possibly could in terms of readjusting the field in the bracket. So under the 12 team playoff format that has been approved unanimously going into the 2024 season, the four highest ranked conference champions will be seated one through four and each will receive a first round bye. Now, conventional thinking will tell us that these will be the conference champions from the big 12, big 10, ACC and SEC most years, but it doesn't guarantee it, right? You know, five highest ranked conference champions, there could be a scenario where maybe a Big 12 team has four losses and Fresno State goes undefeated, right? And maybe Fresno State is ranked higher than that four-loss Big 12 team. I'm not sure, right? But it doesn't guarantee that it'll come from one of the power four conferences at this point. But the top four seeded or top four highest ranked conference champions will receive a first round bye, while teams seeded five through 12 will play each other in the first round on the home field of the higher ranked team. So five will play at home against the 12 seed, six will play at home against the 11 seed, seven will play 10, and eight will play nine in the first round at home of the higher ranked seed. The quarterfinals, second round, and semifinals, third round, will be played in the New Year's six bowl games, right? So the second and third round will be at the Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, uh, you know, Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. And the national championship game will continue to be at a neutral site, right? So this past year it was in Houston for Michigan and Washington. It'll continue to move to a big city, a big venue every year. No conference will qualify automatically, right? So no conference has to be put in the college football playoffs and there will be no limit on the number of participants from a conference. We could see a scenario in which there are seven SEC teams and four other conference champions, right? So all of those things are possible based on the new language in the college football playoffs. Now, I do have two questions, right? I understand that, you know, there was going to be pushback either way and there was not a perfect solution to this, right? But my two questions are, why don't the top four seeds get a playoff home game, right? Now, I know that, you know, the obvious rebuttals to that is you would rather play in a neutral site, you know, New Year's Six Bowl game and have to win three games to win a national championship then let's say for Texas, get a home game in DKR, but have to play four games to win a national championship. Like every program in the country would trade a home game for only having to play three games to win the net. Right. I completely understand that. But I think as a Texas fan, if we win the SEC, we should get rewarded with a home game in DKR. Right. I think that, you know, that would be nice for the fans. Right. We obviously want our team to win the conference. We want our team to put their best foot forward. But it almost seems like we have to root for our team not to win the SEC to hope we get a home game in DKR. And I just think it would be a really cool experience to be able to get a home game in DKR. And maybe we can, but we would have to sacrifice winning the SEC championship to do so. And I just don't think that's cool. But obviously, you know, like I said, uh, you kind of have to do it that way, right? Because if you don't, then you essentially kill the New Year's Six Bowl games by making those, you know, well, you would kill the New Year's Six Bowl games, right? Because how could you call a game 
the Rose Bowl if it's at DKR, right? That's not the Rose Bowl, right? And then if you're not going to put the playoffs teams in the New Year's Six Bowl games, you damn sure can't put 13 through 25, like the highest ranked teams in the AP poll or 13 through 25 ranked in the AP poll in the New Year's Six Bowl games either. So um, I know if you gave the top four seeds, you know, the the conference champions, the top four seeds, a home playoff game, you would essentially kill the New Year's Six Bowl games. And I get that. And it makes sense why they did things the way that they did them. But like I said, I would just like to see if Texas did win the SEC, then be rewarded with a home playoff game. And that would not happen based on the language in the college football playoffs. The second question I have is how is the fifth seed determined, right? If they're going to be five conference champions in the college football playoffs, but only four of them get a first round bye, then what does that mean for the fifth highest ranked conference champion, right? More than likely that team is going to come from a group of five school, which is, you know, I mean, if that's what they want to put in the college football playoffs and only have 11 true national championship contenders, then more power to them. But I would think if you win your conference, then you should be rewarded with a home playoff game, at least in the first round. So that would make sense to then put them as a five, six, seven or eight seed. Right. But I also think you have to be realistic and say a group of five teams should be no higher than the 12th seed in any college football playoff format because a 12 ranked LSU team is beating the hell out of the fifth ranked Fresno State team. Right? Like We just know that's going to happen. So I do think the fifth seed should be the fifth conference champion because I think they should be rewarded with a home game or I think they should at least be a top eight seed so they get a, a home game in the first round. But we have to be realistic that a group of five team would be no better than the 12th seed in any college football playoff year in any 12 team field. Right. When you look at the schedule, the first round would be December 20th and 21st. The quarterfinals would be December 31st and January 1st. The semifinals would be January 9th and 10th. And the championship would be January 20th. Texas last game would either be on November 30th at Texas A&M or December 7th in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. So these are the three scenarios for Texas moving forward based on the new college football playoff format. They could win the SEC. I don't ever see a scenario in which the SEC champion would be not one of the four highest ranked conference champion seeds. So in that case, if they win the SEC championship, they would get a bye, have to play three games to win the national championship. The first two games will be New Year's Six Bowl games, and then the championship would be in whatever city it is in that year. If they lose in the SEC championship or do not make the SEC championship at all, then depending on where they're seated between five and 12, they would either have a home game in the first round of the playoffs or go on the road in a true road game in the first game of the playoffs and have to play four games to win the national championship. So you want to win the SEC to get that by and only play three games to get to the natty. But I'm sure Texas fans would love the opportunity to go to a playoff game in Daryl K. Royal Stadium. So that is how the new format of the college football playoffs will play out moving forward. And that is how it affects the Texas Longhorns starting in the 2024 season. A quick word from our sponsors. And we talk about Vince Young, Arch Manning, Quinn Ewers, and Colt McCoy. Who would have fared the best in Steve Sarkeesian's system with him calling the plays? Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Game Time. Right. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from the seat before you buy. So you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All in prices show your total upfront, So, you know, you're getting a great deal before you check out. Buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Game time is obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game time has deals on tickets 
right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute seats, find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater and more. And with zone deals, you pick the section and game time picks the seats for big time savings and the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you with 110 percent of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Right now, all game time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code Vegas100. Terms apply. Just download the game time app and use code Vegas100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. So we are currently in the grind of producing content in the offseason. Um, and there's no better feeling than just scrolling on Twitter and seeing something that you can use for content. Right. So I feel like I'm always at work because I'll just be scrolling on Twitter for leisure. And then I'll see something. And I'll be like, oh, I could use that on the show or I could talk about this on the show. So I'm always working, no doubt. Right. To, to host and produce content for Locked on Longhorns. And uh, when I was on Twitter the other day, I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but it caught my eye. Uh, people were talking about, you know, there were there was a, a, a poll put up by like a Texas fan on Twitter, one of those big, you know, Texas fan pages. And it asked the question of who would you rather have? Minchion, Colt McCoy, uh, Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning. Right. I think four of the most profile, high profile quarterbacks, especially in the modern era uh, at the 40 acres. But the catch or the caveat, I guess, was that Steve Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator and he'll be calling the plays. Right. So it did make your thought process a little different because you had to think about how each quarterback would fare in Steve Sarkeesian's system. Right. And I think all four of them would ball, obviously. Right. Cause all four of them are really good, but I do think that's an interesting question. Right. So I'm going to go through Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning telling you what I think they would have looked like, you know, what I think they'll look like this year in Quinn Ewers case and what we've seen the last two years and what I expect Arch Manning to do in Steve Sarkeesian's system. And then, you know, answer the question as best as possible in terms of who do I think would have been the most successful in Steve Sarkeesian's system. So we're going to start with Vince Young, right? And I think when you look at the quarterbacks that, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has had uh, success with, Vince Young would be the outlier, right? In in that case, Steve Sarkeesian has excelled with true pocket quarterbacks, and we don't see him with quarterbacks that use their legs a ton, right? I know we've seen it from times, uh, at times with uh Quinn Ewers, right? I know we see, we saw at times maybe Tua would take off a little bit, not much, but we've definitely never seen him with a quarterback like Vince Young who could run for a thousand yards, right? In one season of college football, right? We've seen him with true pocket passers. And that's not to say that Vince Young can't excel from the pocket. He won a national championship at college, right? So obviously he can do anything he puts his mind to, right? But um, like I said, it just wouldn't be the most natural fit, right? Uh, Vince Young definitely would be the outlier in terms of the type of quarterbacks that Steve Sarkeesian has coached. But, you know, I think Vince Young's presence, um, his superstar ability, uh, his ability to do anything to win, his superpowers in terms of his talent, his arm strength, his his speed, his physical frame, all of that, right, at the college level leads me to believe it was still have worked at a high level, regardless of whatever campus you put Vince Young on, whatever offensive system you put Vince Young in, whatever level of talent around Vince Young you had, right? I think regardless, he would have balled at a high level and been one of the best players in college football history, right? But if you put him in a system with Steve Sarkeesian, right, who is going to go down, in my opinion, unquestionably as the best offensive mind we've ever seen at the 40 acres and is going to produce some of the best offenses we've ever seen at the 40 acres. I mean, he's going to be all over the record books. He put Casey Thompson 
in the University of Texas football history record books, right? That should tell you how, <laughs> you know, proficient Steve Sarkeesian's offense is and can be, right? And when you look at it, I think Vince Young would benefit a lot from the short game, right? We see Steve Sarkeesian, especially this year, going to a lot of the short passes, especially quick passes, screens, um, things behind the line of scrimmage. And I think that would have benefited Vince Young a lot, right? Getting the ball out of his hands very quickly, getting it into the hands of the playmakers and then letting them make plays all over the field, right? This is a Texas team in 2023 that was top 10 in the country in yards after the catch that would benefit Vince Young a lot, right? Getting the ball out of his hands in a, in a well-structured offense like this very quickly. Then I think some of the new concepts we've seen in college football now as we, you know, um, you know, catered to trying to make things easier for the quarterbacks with the RPOs and the read options, I think that would benefit a quarterback like Vince Young greatly, right? Because you talk about the read options, which we didn't see a lot of at that time when Vince Young was playing football. And you imagine, uh, you know, the threat that poses to defenders and linebackers and, and defensive ends. If you see Vince Young putting the ball in the hands of Jamal Charles and you have to figure out who is going to keep the ball right, and which way to go. And he's reading you. Right. So he can make the right decision every single time based on what you do. That is a nightmare for defenses. Right. And then you talk about the RPO game. Right. Imagine that same scenario. Right. He puts it in the belly of Jamal Charles. But now he can not only give it to Jamal Charles or keep it himself, he can take the ball out and hit a wide open wide receiver on a, a slant right behind the linebacker. And he can take off for 40, 50 yards to the end zone. So the possibilities would have been endless in terms of Vince Young and Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And he would have been able to hit the deep opportunities when they were there. He had great arm strength. And I think Sark would have had to adjust and call design runs. I mean, you know, you can't have a, a Lamborghini like that in the garage and not use it. Right. And so Sark would have had to change his offense to call design runs for Vince Young. And I think if he would have done all of that in that offense, he would have been unstoppable. They would have won a national championship at the University of Texas. Vince Young would have been amazing in Steve Sarkeesian's system, even though he wouldn't have been a natural fit. Colt McCoy, the most accurate passer we've ever seen at the University of Texas, one of the most accurate passers in college football history, would have been a seamless fit under Steve Sarkeesian. I think Colt McCoy and Steve Sarkeesian's offense would have looked a lot like what we saw from Matt Jones in 2020, but I think Colt McCoy was a better quarterback in college, and the offense would have had a higher ceiling under Colt McCoy, even though, you know, that Alabama team under Mac Jones went 13 and 0, won a national championship, and he was top five in Heisman voting. I think Colt McCoy could have taken it to another level. We also saw Colt McCoy run for 560 yards in a college football season. So there's a little bit more juice in the tank than what Mac Jones had. No disrespect. Colt's processing ability in an offense that has answers to almost every question would make him another coach on the field, right? I think that when you look at Steve Sarkeesian's offense, rarely are there a situation where people can't get open, right? Or where the, rarely is there a situation where there's nowhere for the quarterback to go with the ball, right? If you, as a quarterback, can stand in the pocket, go through your progressions, read the defense, and understand where the answers are to every question the defense gives you, this offense is unstoppable. And I think that's what have been Colt McCoy at the highest level in this offense. No matter what a defense threw at him, I think with Steve Sarkeesian's play calling, play designing, and playmakers around Colt McCoy, he would have had the answer to every single question a defense would have thrown at him. And this offense would have been legit unstoppable, especially with the dominant run game behind him. His accuracy and ball placement would have been perfect for a team that already ranks in the top 10 in yards after catch, right? So he would have just contributed to that. His ability to put the ball between the numbers was second to none, right? One of the most accurate quarterbacks we've ever seen at the college level. And he would be able to execute all the pre-snap motion, checking plays at the line of scrimmage, and the short to intermediate passing game flawlessly. 
Only question mark might be the consistency of the deep ball, but I know better than to question Colt McCoy, one of the best quarterbacks I have ever seen at the 40 acres. Colt McCoy would be amazing in Steve Sarkeesian's system. Quinn Ewers, we've already seen two years of it, and for the better part of it, it's been highly successful. To me, Quinn Ewers is probably the best fit of the four quarterbacks on paper because of his arm talent, right? The arm strength, his ability to throw the ball 70 to 75 yards effortlessly. There is not a throw on the field he can't make. And what makes Quinn Ewers so special is the fact that he can make that throw from almost any platform, right? Whether his mechanics are shaky, his footwork is shaky, whether he's on the run to the left, whether he's on the run to the right, he can make almost any throw on the field accurately. At his best, Quinn Ewers has dropped deep balls perfectly in the bucket, and he's been a wizard in the short to intermediate passing game, making this Texas offense unstoppable, especially with the running game behind him. If Quinn can find some more consistency in the deep passing game in 2024 and work through his progressions more often, get off his first read, get to his second read, get to his third read, know when he gets, know when he needs to get to his check down, right, to his running back. If he can do that more often and more consistently in 2024, I think he could put together the best quarterback season we've ever seen under Sark in 2024. And we haven't seen Arch Manning, but to me, I believe he could end up being the perfect mix of Colt McCoy and Quinn Ewers. He doesn't have the arm strength of Quinn Ewers. He doesn't have the arm talent narrative that Quinn Ewers has associated with him, but he can make every throw as well. And I think his ability to process and navigate defenses, in my opinion, will be similar to that of Colt McCoy. I think Arch Manning is a Manning true and true, right? And if his athleticism and his accuracy translate to college football, Texas will be a legitimate national championship contender for as long as he is starting at the 40 acres. I do think Arch Manning is going to be what we think Arch Manning is going to be. And he has a chance to be not only one of the greatest in college football, but I think he has a chance to be a hall of famer at the national football league level. So to answer the question, I think all four quarterbacks would have uh, had success in unique ways at the 40 acres. I think Vince Young would have been the best overall player in Steve Sarkeesian's system. Maybe not the best natural fit in terms of quarterback play, but I think he would have been the best overall player, still a larger than life Heisman candidate type of player in Steve Sarkeesian's system. They would have won a lot of games. I think Colt McCoy would have been the best pure passer in the system at the 40 acres, right? I think Colt McCoy would have been the most productive passer at the 40 acres in this system. I think Quinn Ewers is the best fit of the four quarterbacks because of his arm talent and his arm strength. And I think he has a chance to put up the best quarterback season we've ever seen under Sark this year. And I think Arch Manning has a chance to be the best quarterback that Steve Sarkeesian has ever coached, right? That includes uh, college football and the National Football League level. I think Arch Manning really has a chance in the future to be one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen at the National Football League level. And I think when it's all said and done, when we talk about Steve Sarkeesian's resume, the first quarterback we'll mention is what he was able to do with Arch Manning. Quick word from our sponsors, and then we get into two huge wins from the Texas basketball team and the Texas baseball team in the last two days. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the National Basketball Association. 
All right, talking about the baseball team and the basketball team as we get out of here. The baseball team is now 3-1 and one on the season in just four short games. They picked up a huge win last night against Houston Christian in a one-game set, beating Houston Christian 20-3. to three. Texas, in only eight innings on offense, had 32 total base runners in this game. They accumulated 24 hits four walks and had four batters that were hit by pitches. So 32 total base runners. They also used 19 different position players in this game, right? Getting out to such a huge lead early, beating up on Houston Christian throughout the entire game, allowed 19 different position players to play and David Pierce to empty the bench. Also, so many players played in this game that I think four different players got their first career hit in this game last night against Houston Christian, which is insane. And only eight innings of offensive baseball of those 24 hits, 13 were singles, seven were doubles, one triple was hit, and there were three home runs. The Longhorns only went to bat in eight innings once again and scored in six of them. Peyton Powell and Ryland Galvin both had three RBIs combined for six RBIs to lead the way. The Longhorns used five pitchers excuse me, on Tuesday, and the staff combined to allow six hits in nine innings, three runs, but only two of them earned six walks. Definitely got to clean that up and 11 strikeouts out of 27 outs. So just a complete performance from the pitching staff, uh, the defense, and the offense to score 20 runs and only hold them to three in a one-game set against Houston Christian. And Texas will play a weekend series against Cal Poly at home starting on Friday through Sunday. Hopefully our Texas baseball team can get to 6-1 and one with a sweep of Cal Poly this weekend in the dish. Make sure you're going out and supporting your favorite baseball team if you can get out in the Austin area this weekend. For the basketball team, Texas beat Kansas State 62 to 56 on Monday in a game that both teams desperately needed. Right. I think both teams are somewhat on the bubble of the NCAA tournament playing in the Big 12, you know, definitely helps both teams. I think Kansas State probably needed this win a little bit more than Texas because they're either on a four game or a five game losing streak coming into the game. But what's most important is Texas added one to that number. So sorry to Jerome Tang and the Kansas State Wildcats. Right. And after the win, as of Tuesday morning, Joe Lenardi had Texas projected as an eighth seed in the NCAA tournament in the Midwest region where Purdue would be a number one seed. So that is really good news for Texas that after this up and down, you know, roller coaster season, you're still firmly planted in the NCAA tournament field right now as an AFC, right? And every team has the same opportunity to win the national championship when they get there, right? You have to win six games to win a national championship and Texas can certainly make a run, but they have to continue to build their resume throughout the season to make sure they get to the tournament and have the opportunity to make a run and build on the elite eight run they had last year. Both teams played well above average. I mean, well below average <laughs> offensively as Kansas state was held 15 points below their scoring average and 11 points below their average is what Texas scored, right? So 15 below for Kansas state and then Texas scored 11 points below their scoring average. Some of it can be attributed to defense, but most of it was just poor shot making, right? They just couldn't hit shots in this game. Kansas state shot 36% from the floor and 26% from three. That'll lose you a lot of basketball games. Texas shot 36% from the floor and 15% from three. That'll lose you a lot of basketball games, but thankfully Kansas State shot just as bad and Texas was able to squeak out of there with the win. What I liked about their performance on Monday night, they out-rebounded Kansas State by three, right? Especially coming off a game where you were out-rebounded by double digits against Houston, that means something, right? And when you out-rebound Kansas State by three and you win the game by six points, there's a direct correlation there. Kendall Weaver had four rebounds. All of them came on the offensive side of the ball. So he is absolutely new, the, the new Brock Cunningham, the new glue guy at the 40 acres. But he just does so many good things for this Texas basketball team. And he just makes 
a winning effort every single night, right? And usually when they win, it's because Kendall Weaver made one or two huge plays down the stretch. This game was no different. And four rebounds all on the offensive side of the ball, that just tells you what time of what type of player uh, Kendall Weaver is, right? He's a psycho in a good way. They only turned the ball over nine times, and that's, you know, rare for them, right? Especially, you know, in the games that they've lost, you can look at the turnover column, and that'll usually tell you why they lost, right? Um, this is a team that in their losses has turned the ball over 14, 15, 16 plus times, right? Um, only had nine turnovers. So to be in the single digits for them is really good because this is a team that can turn the ball over a lot. IT and Brock Cunningham combined for three threes, which is really good to get three threes off the bench, especially for a team like this version of Texas, who was not a great team from the outside shooting the basketball. Unfortunately, nobody else made one, right? So no starter made a three at all, right? But your bench combined for three threes. Hopefully we can get to a point to where everybody's making their threes, right? The bench and the starters, right? That would go a long way in terms of this Texas basketball team playing their best basketball. But it's good to see IT and Brock Cunningham combined for three threes off the bench. Hopefully Max Aceman, Tyrese Hunter, Dylan DeSue, and company can pick it up in terms of the starters. 20 points, eight rebounds, four steals, plus blocks for Dylan DeSue. There aren't 10 players in the country better than Dylan DeSue. Glad he plays at the 40 Acres in the Moody Center. And 17 rebounds combined for Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter. Their effort was amazing in this game. I know they've both been criticized at different points in the season. I've criticized both of them at different points in the season. But I thought their effort and energy was amazing on Monday night, and they were two of the biggest reasons we won. And we're still in the Big 12, so next matchup on Saturday is a huge game at Kansas, who won the national championship two years ago and hasn't looked like a normal Kansas team, but I think that's just because the Big 12 is so good this year. But definitely still will be a very tough matchup, but I think it'll be a huge win for Texas if they can get that victory. Now, you lost two straight games to U of H. You lost that game to Iowa State. You know, they've been really up and down this season. I don't think there's a ton of trust right now in terms of the fans regarding this Texas basketball program. But I think if you can go on the road and get a huge win at Kansas, I think that would go a long way in terms of, you know, bringing back some of the excitement um, to the Texas basketball program that fans had last year. Right. I think fans have been a little bit down on the program this year. They've been down on Rodney Terry this year and. For the most part, that's been for good reason, right? I think the basketball team has underperformed at various times. I think a win against Kansas on Saturday would go a long way towards getting fans excited for the rest of the season in Texas basketball. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hogan.